Welcome to the intersection of theater and even more theater. You have achieved stage grok. Stage Grok, the roaming theater podcast coming to you from the geographic center of the American theater. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Today I talk with Lucy Cashin, artistic director of the St. Louis Theater Company, Equally Represented Arts, and director of the new piece, Trash Macbeth. I talked to her in her office at St. Louis University. So, thanks for talking to me today. Um, uh, the main reason I want to talk to you is this piece, Trash Macbeth, that uh-huh. you just produced. Um, but I want to start by talking about your company. Yes. So tell us about your company. Okay. So um, when I was in undergrad, I had a class with um, this professor named Gautam Dasgupta, who started uh, performing the Performing Arts Journal and PAJ Publishing, which does uh, a lot of like smaller foreign scripts, and then PAJ, the Performing Arts Journal, is a quarterly journal about performing arts um, that me and probably not a lot of other people subscribe to, but it still exists. So, I mean, he started it in, like, the 70s or something. And he uh, he published the, his company published the first translation of Hamlet Machine, Heinrich Mueller's Hamlet Machine, and he had this story about the, um, you know, theater director and designer Robert Wilson coming to him and saying, I have a lighting design. Do you have a play I can use for it? And that was... And like I have no, Yeah, and I have no idea if that's, like, you know, an exaggeration of, like, how... And, and then, so, uh, Gautam said, well, I have this, you know, this new translation of this East German work. And so he just did that. And then the... The play was too short for the lighting design, so they just did it four times <laughs> to make it. And and that was just so, you know, just that story. It's become like a, a legend kind of, I mean, I, it is kind of a legend, I guess. Uh, and It's an awesome story. Yeah, and I was, I was trying to deal with, at the time, I was starting to like try to deal with what is a play. You know, I was having that moment where I'm like, well, is it a script? Because you know, that it's, it's more than that. And, and I'd gone through this phase that was like very academic and literary where it was like the script is the most important thing. And like, and, um, you know, I was like renouncing all like musical theater I had done. I was like, we're only going to do Arthur Miller, like, you know, like and realism. And like, and then I was like, oh, this is, this is really kind of strange. And, uh, and I was noticing it also, like, in the academic structure at my college that it was privileged towards actors, which I didn't, like, personally have a problem with, but it started to not make sense to me that people who were working as much time as designers uh, were, like, not getting the same academic credits, you know? And I thought that was really strange, and uh, and it took a, it took a while for me to 
to find my place, it was, it was jarring, you know, I'm sure it is for most people to go from like being like the pillar of your high school drama club to get into like a real, a real place and being like, Oh, I am so insignificant. I Um, totally had that experience. Yeah. And, uh, and (laughs) you know, so, and and then I, I, um, got really the French department was just so awesome at my school and I got really into that and, you know, I didn't know, but anyway, so I started thinking, uh, when I heard that story and I'd been thinking about this anyway, I started thinking of a company where the idea was, is that there would be 12 people and they would all be multidisciplinary artists. And we would literally put the, all the artists names in, in a hat and all the disciplines, different disciplines in a hat. And we'd pick someone's name and pick someone's discipline and, you know, a completely different discipline and be like, okay, this show starts with you making props, you know, and, and that's how we would do it. And then we'd pick the next thing and the next person and the next discipline and we'd build shows that way. And I had, you know, this, yeah, so that was like, that was where the idea came from. And then I just, I just totally backburnered it. And then when I was applying to... So let me tell you, so those pieces that you're just talking about, did you do several like that? No, I'd never done oh, anything you didn't like do it. You no, just it had was this like idea this idea. Yeah. Oh, and I was okay. like really um, right. I was obsessed with it, but I just was like, okay, no, whatever, that's too It's an awesome idea. Too huge. Yeah, <laughs> oh I would love to I would love to get there at some point. Um and and then I um I was in uh interviews for grad school and uh, and at one of them they were like, Well, if you could do anything, what would you do? And, you know, in, like, a moment of panic, but also kind of truth, I was like, well, I would start this company, Equally Represented Arts, and this is how it works, like, you know. And um, and so, and and that was, like, the, the, I don't know, it just reminded me of that idea. And then when I was in grad school, I started to realize that that was really what I wanted to do, was start a company, in, in some kind of company. And the name I had was Equally Represented Arts, this company era. And, I, and, and was the idea to do exclusively devised pieces, group-created pieces? Not even necessarily. Okay. Like, so you could make the props for Streetcar Named Desire, you know? When the, when the person who gets script comes along, they may not put Streetcar Named Desire to that, but they might also put something that's already written to it, you know, that so was... it totally depends on the impulses of the artist. Yeah, uh-huh, and building in response to what is already right. exists. Um, so that it would be, you know, not completely random, it would be organic, and it would be people who work together all the time, and then... And I also, it also came from this idea that, like, whoever has the, I, the creative, the impetus for creation, they end up owning the work, yeah, in a certain sense, you know, and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're directing a new play, it's a, it's that person's work. You know, if you're, if you're an auteur director, it's the director's work. If you're doing a show totally for like whatever star vehicle actor you have, it's that person's play, you know? And, and like, uh, and I noticed that I felt so much, the further away I was from, feeling like it was my play, the much less interested I was in it. And I assumed it was also the same for everyone else. So I was like, how do you create this world where people feel invested in the work 
Um, and, you know, if you had some sort of rotation system that, like, okay, now, and everyone knew that at some point, you know, they would be the person who would initiate the idea. Um, I, and I have to tell you, that relates to something that I think a lot about a lot, even though I'm doing relatively conventional work compared to what you're doing, still that idea of getting everybody to have ownership in it. Yeah, to, yeah. To, to have their stake in it is so important. Absolutely. And it will make... What I started to learn is it makes your life so much easier as a director. And it makes the show better. Absolutely. It makes like the show better. better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> way better. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, Arab basically started with, uh, I started to get a group at, at Columbia that I uh, worked with, like, you know, a, a playwright I worked with pretty regularly, actors I worked with pretty regularly, and... And I just started, you know, I mean, I asked them, I was like, hey, can we put ERA on the program? Just say ERA's whatever we're doing, like, you know. And, I mean, I didn't really know how to start a theater company, but I was like, well, that's one thing. Your name's on the program, I, right? I think that's how you do it. You <laughs> <Yeah>. claim it. <laughs> I know. And so so we did that. And then, um, you know, so we, there was a couple of ERA shows, and I had a friend who was um, – you know, doing a similar thing, or I guess she had already started a company in, in Chile where she was from. And so we did a show was like a, a a joint production between her company and, and era. And, and then I thought, okay, well, like, what's the next thing? Like, if you, if you know about a theater company and you want to learn more about it, like you go to their website. So that was the next thing I did was build a website. Um, and then that like forced me to flush out some of the ideas, just writing the about section, right, right, right writing right. the mission. And that always helps. It yeah, yeah. Forces you to make your ideas concrete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and so then you know I realized that this was like the the ideal would be you have an ensemble of people that you work with all the time, and uh, you you rotate the work when you rotate what what element of theater is the most important element, the driving element for that production. Um, so that would be the ideal. And in, until then, you know, um, what, it, what can I actually do now? Uh, you know, I can't, I don't have the money to assemble like a, you know, a group, a full-time group of employees who, you know, right. 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 So, um, Which is what we all want. <laughs> oh, I know. Give actors a living. <laughs> I know. Um, but I thought, okay, like, I, you know, what can I focus on? And um, and then I had to do my, my master's thesis. And, and uh, uh, you know, I had to, there was this actor I worked with a lot. I probably kind of had a crush on him. And and we would always talk about, like, oh, when, when we're 40, we'll do Hamlet. Because, like, then we'll know enough to do Hamlet. Like, we want to do it, but there's no way we can do it now. And then I was just like, wait, what if we just did it now, you know? And so I started I started investigating it, and I, you know, had this this idea that it was about identity. So I was able to, to use that, um, use this re-envisioning of Hamlet that, that I called Make Hamlet um, it, to both write an academic paper about it and then do the adaptation. And then we did um, a reading of it at Columbia. And then the guy that I was engaged to um, got into business school at WashU and got like a, you know, good scholarship. And he and I are divorced or on our way to being divorced now. But, but at the time we were not. So I moved with him to St. Louis. Now, now was, was Make Hamlet... 
at all similar to Trash Macbeth? I mean, was it taking Shakespeare text first and... Uh, it, it was in that it was an investigation of the text. It was in that it was... Uh, or of that play, I guess. Um, it was in that it was very personal investigation of that play. Um, and it was in the sense that it was an experiment, um, a thea- you know, a theatrical experiment. And using a fair amount of the Shakespeare text? Uh, Make Hamlet was nearly exclusively Shakespeare. It was The text that was spoken was exclusively from Hamlet. It was cut up and rearranged in a lot of ways, um, except for when Ophelia sang uh, My Heart Belongs to Daddy. That was the only part that was <laughs> not Shakespeare. I love um, that. <laughs> uh, that was so much fun. Uh, uh, that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun for me. I worked, Jen Thiebe Quinn played uh, Ophelia in the, the one we did here, and um, she was great to work with, and that, that character just ended up, you know, developing... Um, more and more, and in a strange way, uh, because she was very responsive. Uh, well, so, so let, let me let me yeah. jump track. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me go to Trash Macbeth. Uh huh. So this is this play that you guys created um, that I just heard so much about, and uh, I decided I had to see this. I love devised pieces. Yeah. And it absolutely blew my mind. I had so much fun, and I thought it was so insightful about Macbeth. Like, I just felt like you guys dug into it and really found the core of it in a really, really cool and surprising way. Mm-hmm. But but so I want to start at the very beginning of that particular project. What was, yeah. what was the initial impulse that led to Trash Macbeth? So, yeah, so Slu said, hey, we want you to do a device piece that you don't purchase any materials for. And I, you know, know what a university process is like and I know what a rep theater process is like. And I- pretty much trying to mimic the rep theater process. And I was like, well, that sounds like suicide. Sounds like... <laughs> All right, no, no. The, for people who don't know what a device piece is, give us a little quick little... Well, I mean, basically you go in with like, you know, the question you want to investigate, what kind of, uh, you know, anchor you want to use, which is usually like an aesthetic, you know. And, uh, and then... And then... Um, the, uh, you know, any anything else you kind of, you know about what you want to in, investigate. Um, and like, and especially, so you have the, you have the anchor, you have the question, and the question is a big thing, that's what you're investigating, the anchor is like the aesthetic, uh, and then you have the, the main source, you know, or like the structure, you know, and so, so I just thought, okay, so the question is something about waste, uh, and, you know, the anchor has to be some kind of play, is what I thought. And, you know, something out of public domain, so we can do whatever we want with it. And, but, like, there's no way I can get everyone on board for, um, for something that has a source that's like, you know, you could use a source, you could be, the source could be like, the financial crisis of 2008, you know? So the question they wanted me to um, investigate was something with waste. Um, but, yeah, it could have been anything. So you could do a device piece about, you know, say the question is, um, 
uh, how how is waste destroying America? And the anchor is Andy Warhol, and the <laughs> and the source is or the structure is the 2008 financial crisis. And then you go into rehearsal. You all have that uh, that knowledge of what you're investigating, and you make it up. I mean, devise is just like you know, it's our pretentious it's word for making shit up. Yeah, I'm, collectively created. Yeah. yeah, and it's really important to get. Uh, to share your ideas from the beginning, so because that's that's where the power structure comes from in theater. Um, you Meaning know, with, everybody's ideas, right? Yeah, exactly. And everyone has to have access to the ideas because usually, you know, director and playwright are at the top because those are the people with the ideas. And, you know, it's not right. because those people are greedy. It's because we don't have enough time, basically. Um, you have to come in with ideas. So <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I have to come in with some things kind of cooked. Uh, so, so in an ideal universe, you'd have a really long time. Yeah, I mean, you need like six months, right. I think, to do something that's totally devised, right. you know, and also has more than 20 minutes of watchable <laughs> material, you know, um, uh, and a lot of the stuff that I had done previously looked very devised. When in reality, there was a lot that I was figuring out uh, ahead of time, and so I was a little nervous about it too because I was like, "Well, it's kind of how I make stuff, but not totally." I mean, so I'd love to make stuff, but. So, so they, yeah, so Nancy Bell, um, met with me and she's like, devise piece, don't buy anything new. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, if we're not going to buy, if we're going to repurpose everything, we should make the aesthetic trash art because, you know, at a university you could find enough materials probably to make an actually good looking show that no one could even tell that you repurposed everything for yeah, it. Right? right. Right. So, so we, you know, I wanted to hone in on, on having that part of the process, um, be seen and be visible. Um, and, and then I just, I instantly started thinking about Macbeth and then I just couldn't get away from it. Cause I just, I started thinking, Almost every time I think about a show, I'm like, oh, what if I do this one in the round? And then I end up realizing that's too hard. And, and, but yes, it is. It's too hard. And, uh, maybe someday when I'm 40. But, um, but uh, so I just started like this, the audience in the round, and that this was like the, the witch's cauldron. And I'm like, okay, so it's just like this, but it's also like the outside of a garbage can. And which the witch's cauldron is a garbage can. And I'm like, okay, witches have brooms and they're just like sweeping garbage in and then they pull stories out of it. And like, that's how Macbeth is made. And they like, they live on this heath, which is essentially a wasteland. Um, and now, now, did you get to all this just kind of free association? Yeah, that, that like, that came, that part came at me right away. And I just had this image of like, witches sweeping garbage onto the stage, you know, and, and I even was like, maybe the audience is just throwing their bags of chips on the stage and, um, <laughs> and who knows, right? And then the, that's, like, stories come out of that. But it seems to me that, that you have to be in a, in a kind of free and open place to be able to do that free association of ideas. It was actually kind of... I, like, ideally, yes, but it was a little bit the opposite. It was, like, because I, I, like, Nancy Bell is one of my heroes, and I'm, like, okay, sound really smart in front of Nancy Bell, and so I just, like, said 
you know, I'm just like, come up with something, Lucy, like, you know, and, uh, and sometimes I do, I do think that that, that sort of pressure that's happened to me before where someone's been like, well, what would you do? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, pressure's good. Yeah. It happened from Moscow was the same with our three sisters. And I was like, well, you could do, uh, you know, I was in a space and, and they were like, well, what would you do here? And I was like, well, you could do a drinking game version of Three Sisters where every time someone says Moscow, somebody takes a drink and like, and it was just like totally on the spot. But then like we did that, you right, know, right, right. and, but it was the same thing. It was like, don't sound stupid, Lucy, you know? But, but, so. but I also, th- I think a lot of people have the internal editor yeah. who will stop those ideas before uh-huh. they get out. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think do think so. you have to be in a free place where you can let those ideas come out, even if maybe they're not the greatest, because one of them is. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I have this theory that, like, artists are either, like, insane or their parents said yes to them too much as a child. And, like, I, my parents definitely said yes to my ideas too much yeah, me too. As, a, as a child. Yeah, and which is, um, you know, like... Not always great socially, but, um, you know, like I say yes to my, to my own ideas and, and then, uh, yeah. And then I, you know, went back to, um, Macbeth and I was like, well, this is actually a story about, uh, this is a story about my, my grandparents is what it really felt like in that, not that they're murderers, but that this, uh, this like codependent relationship and I just really started to feel for Lady Macbeth that, like, it wasn't about her being ambitious. It was about her loving her husband so much that it was, like, insulting to her when someone thought he shouldn't be king, you know? And Almost like a stage mother. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, very maternal. And I was uh, breaking up with my husband at the time um and uh, uh who is is now uh in in recovery but was not at at the time uh, for alcoholism and and it was like I, I just felt like it was the same thing it was like you know it was so uh my my happiness was so related to his success because I knew how great he could be and like but he wasn't being that because, you know, he had this, this substance issue and I just couldn't accept it. Like I could not accept that because he is like an extraordinary human. And, and, uh, and it was, you know, it was just like classic, you know, codependency kind of thing. And, uh, and like, I mean, he was, he was moving out while I was directing this show here. And, um, but the, the part about my grandparents though, is like the, the etiquette, the keeping up appearances and like this whole kind of like 1950s idealist American culture and that the scene where Banquo's ghost appears, I mean, that is, I like, that's, that's where it becomes too much for Lady Macbeth. It's like, no, I, I stood by you through everything, but now you fucked up my dinner party, and that is not okay. Right. And it it was like, you know, I mean, I, I was just like, this is exactly how my grandmother, if, you know, God bless her, ever had to be in this kind of stressful situation would, would be. Um, and, and then I also, I related to it too, so much, uh, like, you know, being like when we'd be out, when I'd be out in public with my husband and, and he would like fall off the wagon and I would be trying to be like, Oh, why don't you just sit down and eat dinner instead of walking around where I can't keep track of you? You know what I mean? Like, and, um, and so it was, 
Yeah, and it, you know, but you can't make a show that's just about you. That's boring. Um, so, <laughs> well, I, I, it's interesting to hear you say all this because one of the things that I took from the show, I, I was seated at the banquet table, which mm -hmm. was awesome. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really cool choice. Uh, but but what was cool for me is that usually when I've seen Macbeth, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are you know pretty awful, evil human beings, mm -hmm. and in this case, I felt they were kind of horribly misguided, maybe, yeah. but kind of trapped on the wrong road. Not really evil, yeah. just kind of trapped. Uh-huh. Which I thought was really interesting, and it made me yeah. care about them in a different way. And I think that that was totally uh, Mitch and Rachel, Mitch Eagles and um, Rachel Tibbetts, who played them, uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. And, and I think when we did it here, I was determined to make it a love story because that's what I was going through. And it's funny because the students are, the two students who played them are actually dating now. And, um, but it was like the, the thing that killed him at the end was learning about her death. And it was like very deliberate. I was like, I'm not the most important thing to my husband, but God damn it, she's going to be to him. Like, you know, it was just like, and I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like I just was wrapped up in this and, and, you know, we had the, we knew since we were using trash, you know, the big thing in, in Macbeth is the, you know, the word blood is said over a hundred times and, and I didn't know how we were going to do blood. And then I just realized we, it had to be trash and that was going to be difficult for the audience. And I knew I wanted to hone in. It was amazing. It was so powerful. Uh, and and for, fo it's... for folks who didn't see it, blood was shredded newspaper mm -hmm. in this production. And it was so powerful because they left a trail everywhere they yeah, walked. Yeah. It was, it was intense. Yeah. It, um, I loved it, and I knew, uh, I, I think it might have been difficult for some audience members, because there's something a little bit sexy about Macbeth, and, like, you kind of want it to be, like, this beautiful image of, like, blood trickling, you know, <laughs> but, like, it was just, like, shredded paper, and, and... But it was always dripping. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Um, and, yeah, so when we did it, uh, we, I knew I wanted to do, like, the thing with the, the witches, um... The, the witches having the, all the women in the play having these, like, quintessential female actions of the, you know, the cooking, the, the, the stew or the potion, right, to make the prophecies, or Lady Macbeth with the cleaning, uh, and then, um, this obsession with this child that the Macbeths have had at some point, but don't anymore, and then also, uh, the the witches as an allegory of the fates so this idea of them you know spinning thread and measuring the thread of life and then cutting it so it was like cooking cleaning sewing child rearing and and I, I was cool and that's like that's kind of one of the things that like you know like as a as a woman you can do that investigation and you don't have to worry about it coming off as sexist you don't have to worry about when it's ironic and when it's not you know and that right, was right. that was fascinating to me to have that that privilege and uh, so, so when did these other texts come in? Oh, uh, uh, from from the beginning, Emily Post was part of it. I mean, we call my grandmother Emily Post, and that was just so <laughs> it was so clear to me that this this like fifty. Even though Emily Post wrote that earlier, um, to me, it's from the fifties because it's from my grandma, who's, right? You know. The 1950s housewife that I know. Well, it um, so perfectly fit everything else you were doing with it. Uh huh. Well, yeah, because it's all about it's all about how you present yourself to others. Um, it's, I, I, I kept thinking the phrase "keeping up appearances" yeah, all night long. Mm -hmm. That was like so yeah. primary, and that's a, that's equivocating, you know, and uh, and. 
But then, um, yeah, so Emily Post was part of it. And the first one we actually had text from An Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore's book, specifically things that sounded like prophecies. Because we were really, we were focusing on the environment. I was, I was trying to, like, dramaturgically, like, make the trash make sense. And, and I knew that, like, they, I, I knew that SLU kind of wanted it to have, like, a social thing. And uh, I think that prevented me from discovering this thing about the advertisements. I mean, we had a commercial in the first one. But what I realized when we started doing it at ERA that was that, like, the advertisements was where it was at, and this was the real connection between Macbeth and Trash and the 50s, was the, uh, the appearances, the keeping up appearances that consumerism just inflames, that desire in us, and it just perpetuates it, and just, like, how much garbage all this stuff just makes, you know? Well, and, and all the commercials were about cleaning products, right? Yeah, they were all about cleaning products. There were some that were very... The commercials at that time are very gendered, so there were some that right. were like, you know, um, show her it's a man's world, man Houston, man's world ties. Um, right. <laughs> and then the one he says where he says, is it always illegal to kill a woman? Uh, uh, Macbeth says that at some point, and that is actually from a, an advertisement for parking meters. Oh. And the image is like... The parking, the meter maid is reading the meter and giving the guy a ticket, and the guy's so stressed out, and he and the caption says, "Is it always illegal to kill a woman?" Jeez. And it's so weird. <laughs> and the show was crazy. Yeah. But but what I loved about the cleaning commercials from the women was that it was again that trapped yeah. in the role. Like here's the role. It's very narrow. It's all you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the 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 roles were so narrowly defined and. Um, but that was, to me, that was like, oh, now we, we found what this is about. It's about this excess of, you know, things that you want that you can't have and like things that are going to make you look like how everyone else looks. And, and it's just making more and more waste, you know, psychologically and physically. And, um, which, which, and, which now that you're saying all that, it, it connects so directly to the Banquo ghost scene and. Mrs. Macbeth being upset about how everything mm-hmm. looks and that everyone's going to see her husband being crazy and mm-hmm. it's all like, it's all the same, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, ab- no, totally, totally. And that scene is just so pinnacle. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the pinnacle of like all that stuff and then having Emily Post in it. But then so when, what, when, when, did, the... when did you decide that, the, that we were going to have the banquet table down the middle? Was that in the first piece? That's how, uh, that's how I initially wanted to do it at SLU was I wanted, I realized what the audience shouldn't be a circle, but it should be um, a square, uh, a rectangle and representing these sides of the table. And then one side of the table would be the cast is how I imagined it on the, the main stage. And then that got vetoed really quickly, um, having all the audience on stage. Uh, and, uh, but that, I, I knew that, I knew that the structure was going to be a dinner party and uh, Joe Taylor, the guy who did um, the music, he, you know, composed and arranged the music and performed, uh, was one of the musicians. Also um, very, very cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I feel so lucky to work with him. Um, and, and it's really fascinating because he, he's from the music world. Like, he's from, like, rock and roll band world. And 
it's, you know, I mean, the first thing we did with him, like, we all wanted sheet music. <laughs> and he's like, I, like, that hardly even reads music, <laughs> right, you right, know? Right, right. He's like, well, this is what key it's in, this is the chords. And we're like, uh, you know, so we're, like, going online finding out what the um, sheet music is. and But I think it's so, it's so great. That was something that was created, the music was created so organically. Like, they would just come to rehearsal and every once in a while they would be like, wait, what's happening here? Especially if it was a Shakespeare scene because... I mean, quite frankly, like, no one understands that shit, really. I mean, unless you know these plays so well, it's so strange, the language. And, you know, and I'd be like, okay, this is where she's telling him to, you know, kill the king. And the king's like, or and Macbeth is like, oh, no, I don't want to. And then, you know, here she's getting upset about it and, and whatever. Um, and and that was, that really solidified the, this is a, a dinner party. And, and Joe... Joe had this idea that the audience would walk into the dinner party and that the music would be playing. And, and then we just started running with that. Like, and then, uh, Ellie, I'd asked Ellie to play Emily Post, um, partly because I had these three, like, extremely talented, uh, actresses and I, I wanted Rachel to play Lady Macbeth, and I didn't want to say to Ellie and Maggie, hey, do you want to play not Lady Macbeth? <laughs> like, I didn't want it to be, to sound like that, you right, know? Right, right. And so it was partly just like, I, I got to give them something cool, you know? So we, like, we made Lady Macduff, uh, you know, a major, major character, and then we made Emily Post a character. Like, because I just couldn't ask Ellie to, like, just be a witch, basically, is how I thought of it. Right. And then she, like... She rolled with that so hard. I mean, we would be in rehearsal, and she'd be like, well, actually, that, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> that's not how you're supposed to say it. And, I mean, she had all that stuff down, like how to, you know, how to bring a, a guest into the dinner, how to, um, you know, how you're supposed to greet a guest, how you're supposed to take them into the drawing room, then from the drawing room into the into the dining room and, and all this stuff. And, and from, from the audience's point of view, all that was so cool. It was yeah. so immersive. You were so inside the story, which was yeah. neat. And I knew, I knew that was something I figured out in the slew production was that the audience had to be King Duncan. They had to be the guests in the Macbeth's castle. That's how it made sense. Like, and I've been trying to work a lot with why does the audience need to be there? Like, why don't we just record it and show a video of it? You know, like, why are they there? And then, but then I also think about someone like my dad, who is like a health insurance actuary and like usually sits in the back corner because he's terrified of someone making him go on stage. Right, and, right. and I'm like, okay, so how do I make that person not, you know, not just like be miserable the whole time and, but that make the audience still integral. And, uh, and so, and, uh, we had, we had worked with, um, the audience as Duncan, just in terms of how the actors were thinking about it in the slew production. And then, and I thought, oh, maybe we can have the audience play Duncan in the slew production, but there was, it, it, it was, it was difficult to some, something, it was a little bit like, uh, I'm not trying to say this in a dissing way, but it it was, you know, because they, they have their way of doing things here that, that works. Uh, but I did sometimes feel like there were some people who really wanted me to innovate, and then there were some people who didn't, and I was, you know, kind of caught between these things. Because like, innovation isn't always comfortable. No, it's extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's scary. And it, That's and the fun of it. And they're experiments, and you don't know... 
you don't know what's going to work. Right. You know, you do it because you think it's going to work, but you don't know. And All right. So, so let me ask you this. So when it comes time to rehearse, how much of the text I saw was there when you start rehearsal? Um, like when the, the, um, slew version, uh, a fair amount, the era version, not much at all. Uh, did, and did you know which pieces of Macbeth you were using or was that still I, We had a list that was like, we, we need this scene to tell the story. We need this scene to tell the story. And that, that list started becoming more and more refined um, as time. We had a list of like, these are things we want to see happen. And on that list were some scenes from Macbeth. On that list were like, was also audience playing King Duncan, you know? Um, and... Uh, a lot of it was not written. I mean, I can tell you um, specifically the way the audience came in, that was completely made up at rehearsal and, and through Ellie, you know, discovering in etiquette how how we should do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly what, I mean, those, a lot of that seemed improvised, but there was like very distinct structures that the actors could choose from to say like, oh, I think I've seen you, I saw you in Dunsinane last year. Oh, you must know my wife. Like, you know, it was like, and that's how etiquette is. It's like, these are the three things you can say to someone after you meet them. And, and, um, and, uh, and we didn't know that they were all going to be called King Duncan on their way in. Gabe actually had that idea. Like it took so long to clean up that show. And you know, like when it, we had a lot of like midnight, like me and Gabe ideas, lots of them, we'd come back the next morning and be like, oh, that was really stupid. <laughs> but this, Gabe was like, what if we just call them all King Duncan? We were trying to call them their names. Okay. But at dress rehearsal, we were still, like we had a practice audience. We were calling them their names. And one of my students who is um, Chinese was there and, and like Ellie was struggling so much with his name and she was getting embarrassed and, and like, and I was worried about it because I know, um, well, we all know like a couple of transgender people and it was like, so what do we say? Like Mrs. Mr. Like, you know, what are we going to do? These, these texts are not written for, right. um, f- for that kind of tolerance. And, uh, and then it was just like, Oh, you're King Duncan, you're King Duncan. Boom. And it was, it was so obvious. Like, why wouldn't we introduce them like that? But it di- we didn't, you know, and, uh, cause we knew they were going to have a script, like we knew, um, and, uh, so yeah, that, and, uh, the, I had an image for like a sword fighting, a spooky sword fighting thing. And then, uh, Eric Kuhn choreographed that. And, uh, and then I, you know, I thought, okay, we could get the captain speech over this, which was actually, um, Ivy Bell Reed, um, Nancy Bell's daughter who did the, those, all those recorded voices, um, and then the, like the, the toasts, uh, were all created during, during rehearsal. I just kept collecting more and more advertisement language and starting to like, you know, organize it. Um, and, uh, then the, the nightmare sequence where there's the coin trick and everything that was, um, that was totally made up at rehearsal that was the the guys we were we had um we were making compositions and it was like a boys versus girls composition day and i thought the guys they were making this classic devising mistake where you talk about stuff and you don't try stuff you know 
And I was watching, you know, I'm working with the women and I'm, I'm watching them do this and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to have nothing. And apparently they were like secretly actually trying stuff out and we just couldn't see it. And they had this awesome thing with Carl doing this quarter trick and then like, you know, it turns out at the end, Macbeth's quarters in his mouth and he chokes and he dies. And like, and I was like, oh, that's a nightmare. That's great. Like, you know, and, um, I. So, uh, oh, the stuff that was the character portraits, the, you know, I am Macbeth, I'm 30 years old. That's just like a exercise that, um, you know, exercise that I learned in, in grad school of like a character, like actor's character development thing. And I was kind of thinking, I wonder if we can use these. And then, and then we did end up. I love those. And those were all written by the actors themselves really early on too. Um, and they, all right, well, so, so I only have a little bit of time, yeah. <clears throat> but I just want to, so the response to this was amazing. Like yeah. everybody in the theater community was raving about this thing. The reviews were all awesome. And I was telling all my theater friends about it. Was that a surprise to you? I oh mean, my God. It's, absolutely. it's a really weird piece you it, created. I was very surprised. But, but I also have to say it's incredibly clear storytelling. Uh, thank you. That was, I, I, I try to do that. Um, I try to make my work accessible. Um, I I am very proud when I hear that non-theater people, like or people are like, oh, I always hate Shakespeare, but this was great. Like, right, you know, right, that, right. Kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, I really thought it was going to be like 50-50, totally divided. And I thought some people were going to love it and some people were going to hate it. Because I knew it was it was the most ambitious thing we'd done. It was definitely the strangest thing that we had done. And it requires a great deal from the audience, I think. Oh, you, yeah. You need to process. You need mm-hmm. to focus. I mean, it's, you're, you're a participant in this. Yeah, no. And it was two hours, no intermission, which right? I know, like, that's that's not cool around here. And but we just <laughs> couldn't get an intermission in. I mean, we cut, we cut a scene. We, like, you know... Uh, well, it would have killed the tension. Yeah, exactly. We just couldn't do it. Uh... And, uh, yeah, and it, it was tough, and there was just so many ways for things to go wrong every night. You're right. The play for the actors is, like, nearly impossible. It's just so much shit they have to do. Um, I was I was totally surprised, and I was so, I was so proud of the work. It was, like, and it was also the thing that was most collaborative that I'd ever been part of. Like, I had so much less to do with the content than I usually do and um, than I ever have. And and I was really just like, I know this is good. And I was ready for it. I was ready for, like, you know, era takes things too far or whatever. Like, the, I was ready for that to be um, a response. And then, and then, you know, at first, like, you know, Richard Green really liked it. Steve Callahan really liked it. And I was like, okay, well, they, they, they tend, they've liked our stuff a lot before. So, but then, like, you know, the two news liked it. I was like, whoa, I did not, you know, I mean. Well, you know, the other uh, thing that hit me about it was I've seen Macbeth, I don't know, four or five times. Um, and I felt like you were so incredibly true to Macbeth. Like, I felt like you really told me the Macbeth story. Yeah, I didn't yeah. feel like you strayed from that in, in any significant way. You yeah. Know what I mean? And I think that that's important in devised work that you have a structure. And that was what, what our goal was to tell the story of Shakespeare's Macbeth and whether that came out through Shakespeare's language or through other stuff. But that was, um, and I was worried about that. There were so many like abstract 
ways in which we were telling that story that were like informing, you know, kind of tones about that story or themes or motifs about that story instead of just linearly telling the story. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was, uh, very concerned. I, I was concerned for, uh, for the cast because it, it wasn't enough time. I, you know, I was supposed to organize the script and get it to them by April 1st. I was working on it tirelessly. Like, I can't believe I didn't get fired from SLU because I was just all working on the script. I finally got it to then April 8th. And then, you know, you start realizing, oh my God, we need something like this here. We, you know, and Sunday, the Sunday before we opened, I was like, uh, Ellie, I need some kind of monologue from you here. And she's like, I knew it. I knew on Sunday. I was like, on Sunday, they're going to tell me they need a monologue here. Like, and I was, I was just like, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was so stressed. Saturday tech, I was so stressed out. I was so, I was like depressed. Like everything was just a fucking mess. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, and I knew, I knew, you know, I felt like it was my fault. Like, it, it just, it, we, we did try to do something too ambitious. And then, like, Sunday, it was, like, one of those typical theater things. It was, like, a different play. It was, like, a different show. I was, like, oh, my God, we're going to be okay. And then we did another run. And I was, like, oh, it's good. <laughs> like, you know, it's not. And, um, you know, it was, like, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was wild. Yeah, and I was, uh, I was definitely prepared for people to hate it, and uh, and and I think some people did, but way less than I expected. Well, the to word be. I kept using was ballsy. I was yeah, just like, this is a was. ballsy production. <laughs> like yeah. you took some massive risks. You invaded our space all the time. Yeah, but it was such a great ride. It was, it was just a roller coaster. Yeah. And uh, will we remount it? I don't know. Um, there are a whole lot of people who want you to remount. I would love to see it again. I would love to do it again, and I would love to do more remounts. I would, uh, you know, in theater we often, we're like, okay, we need to do something else, we need to do something else. I like revisiting a piece oh, once Oh my in a god, while. I love it. Yeah. You feel so smart, first yeah. of all. Right, right, right. You've done it already. You have all this head start. And so you can really, like, dive into. I'm very curious to watch the film of it to see if there's anything about the, the pacing that could be... Um, improved you know it's hard it's hard when you're watching it uh during production time just because my adrenaline's up so so high and, uh so it's hard to really gauge from those from watching it then um so yeah so it's it's always great to watch the the video and and then you can kind of look at it more objectively you know once you've had a little distance from it um so yeah but yeah I don't know we'll see well I want to I want to revisit stuff more often well, I have to say, honest to God, it was one of the coolest pieces of theater I've seen in a very long time. I just, I it's left time. and could not stop talking about it. I just thought it was so, so cool. That, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a blood, sweat, and tears kind of process. And, uh, I mean, and the, the shows, my God, those poor actors. Uh, but they, yeah, it, it was, it was cool. It, uh. Yeah, it took a lot out of us, and, and uh, yeah, it wouldn't change anything, you know? I mean, I, if we do it again, I probably will, but, right. <laughs> but for that, I wouldn't, yeah. Um, well, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is Scott Miller. Now you, too, have achieved stage rock. See you next time. Yeah.